Welcome back to the Daniel Muggleton podcast. It's me. I'm Daniel Muggleton. I'm the guy. Good to be here. Sorry, I'm coming to you a little bit late, but you know, I think I think I got a good excuse. Uh, I just got back from the Perth Comedy Festival. I'm excited to tell you three things that happened there, uh, and also tomorrow I fly to the UK quite early. Uh, to do my first ever UK tour. The details for that on my website, www.danielmuggleton.com.au. I believe it's nine shows. Could be 10 shows. Let's go. Let's go with, let's go with nine. And then if it ends up being 10, I can say I added a show due to unprecedented demand, uh, which you guys obviously now know is an incredibly opaque phrase in the world of stand-up comedy. Uh, but yes, it is my first ever international tour. I've even figured out a visa and everything. Uh, and I'm excited to take this new show to some of the best comedy venues in the UK. You know, The Stand in Glasgow and Newcastle, Monkey Barrel in Edinburgh, Hot Water Comedy Club, 21 Soho, Comedia in Brighton. These are all amazing comedy venues that I've done club nights at and to do my own show there is very cool. And I just wanted to ask you the favor if you live in the UK, if you know people who live in and around the UK, please do let them know. I know that if you see me live, you probably see me bang on about the importance of word of mouth, uh, but it, it's true. It really does move the needle. It really does change everything. And yeah, I haven't been in the UK for a minute. So uh, the people who did like me there, or like might have seen me at Edinburgh Fringe, uh, you know, might not be aware that I'm coming over. I'm doing my best to spread the word, but if you know anybody who might like it, any any British scum, not that British people are scum, but because, as always, I do consider those who find my comedy good to be usually pretty scummy. Um, let them know. Send them to the show. I'd love to see some familiar faces there because I got to say, I was doing the show in Perth. Now, Perth, is the most isolated city in Australia, but still inherently an Australian city. And even some of the stuff that has changed in the show from when I first did it there in January to Adelaide, to Melbourne, to Canberra, to sit like some of the things, some of the bits of the show that have come together didn't even seem to hit home in Perth. So <laughs> consider this a mild panic attack a mild panic attack for potentially this show not necessarily translating to UK audience. See, I got a, I got a freebie last year and then I only did one show in the UK outside of the Fringe, which was in London. And a lot of Australian people live in London. A lot of the Australian people who live in London are fans of my comedy. So they came and there was many, many points of reference for them to understand and enjoy before I got to Edinburgh Fringe and realized, oh shit, 20 minutes of this show does not mean anything to these people. Uh, but this time, I just jumped straight in. So, uh, Monkey Barrel in Edinburgh on June 3rd. If you know anyone, friendly faces would be welcome because that's the first go-round. That's the first go-round for this material in the UK. Um, but I did, you know, I really... I really did take a little second to be like, man, it's it's pretty cool, you know? Last year, it blew my mind that I could do a show on the Sunshine Coast and people would buy tickets in anticipation 
And for the UK tour, I've already sold over 200 tickets. Uh, and some towns I've never even been to. Like, I've never been to Bristol. But people have already bought tickets. It's pretty cool, man. It's pretty cool. But importantly, financially, <laughs> it would be ideal if slightly more people bought tickets. Just saying. Just saying for potentially... Um, doing this thing, uh, which accountants refer to as uh, breaking even on the tour. Uh, definitely could do with a couple more bums on seats at the very affordable and in hindsight, probably slightly too low price of £12 per ticket. £10 concession. Don't say that I ever pass inflation slash cost of living crises onto you. All right. This week's app. I talk about three things that happen at the Perth Comedy Festival. Only two shows there, but I spent a few days and discovered my favorite thing about Perth. Oh, little bit of radio intrigue there. I'm learning. I'm learning the genre. Uh, and also, I want to talk a little bit about sport. I feel like I've been a bit light on the sport recently, but the NBA playoffs are on. And more importantly, Ja Morant. Ja Morant jumped on IG Live. And waved a gun around again. Again. He just got suspended this season for doing exactly that. And he did it again. Ugh. Anyway, I started to think about some Australian equivalents. Some Australian, uh, well, I guess, I guess really that's kind of like boneheaded. Boneheaded things that he did. What Australian athletes have done something similar. But first... To get us there, you know who it is. It's Verticoli. All right, I'm fresh off my run at the Perth Comedy Festival, formerly known as the Perth International Comedy Festival, but now just the PCF. So here are three things that happen. Ring a ding ding. All right, number one, I ate the best sandwich I have ever eaten in Australia. Oof, and let me tell you, this was, this was the stuff of true romance. I wasn't on the make. I wasn't looking. I wasn't taking anybody's recommendation. I was just walking to my venue for sound check when I walked past a restaurant in Mount Lawley, Perth called Bagelos. Now, I don't know if you know anything about Perth. It is a desolate wasteland where culture goes to if not die at least move away from other culture is that reasonable uh so i'm walking through i'm not expecting a lot there's there's cars heaps of them yellow if you played the game spotto in perth it would sound like you had some kind of verbal tick uh that is the frequency with which yellow four by fours appear so i wasn't expecting a lot is what i'm saying and i walk past this store and like, I don't know if you guys have this. I don't know if it's like purely kind of like a hipster, hipster sixth sense, you know? There's just certain places where the font choice, the, the menu display, the, the weird foam board thing where they use those old school letters that you like analog style menu, you just kind of know. You just kind of know this place is going to be dope. And I walked past it and I was just like, oh, hello, hello. 
what is this? There's a little line. Everyone in the line seems cool. Everyone who works there seems cool, but not trying to be cool. I think we might be on here. Now, I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge bagel guy. And I, you know, shockingly, uh, being a comedian, I do have quite a few Jewish friends. And when I put up on my Instagram how excited I was about this sandwich, they accused me of being an anti-Semite ordering a sandwich from a bagel place. I just don't love a loaded bagel. Like for some reason... Australia seems to think bagels are something that should be crammed with as many fillings as a sandwich or a burger. But like, I like a real uh, simple, you know, cream cheese, maybe some locks. Like, keep it simple on the bagel. But this place was loading them up. They look sick, by the way. I don't want to slag off the bagels or bagel, but the sandwich, the freshest bread ever, the pastrami was just unbelievable. Like, Pastrami outside of America is always kind of thin cut. It's always this kind of ham adjacent width. Uh, whereas in America, it's very thick. And that's what makes it great. Because I think I think basically, if you've got shit pastrami to begin with, if you really kind of slice it thin, then it's harder to tell that the texture isn't that good. Whereas if it's thick, you can you know really cash in on how good the original ingredient is. So I order the hot pastrami. I sit down, uh, I notice that they've got a TV in there that's playing the NBA playoffs. Now, that might not sound like anything, but I swear to God, the day before I went there, I was on the phone to my friend, Michael Schaefer, guest on this podcast, talking about how I really wanted a cafe that played sports because I like watching sports in the middle of the day, especially American sports, because that's when they tend to be. And you always have to go to a bar where there's a beer and there's schnitzel. What about a cafe where there's coffee and a sandwich and the fucking sport on the TV? And there it was. It was like I manifested this thing. I was amazed. I was like, this this is some kind of fever dream. This is that kind of Andrew Tate level shit where you suddenly start thinking it is the Matrix and you're controlling it somehow. Don't worry, I'm not a fucking idiot. But, man, so it was already perfect. Then the sandwich comes out, the thick cup pastrami, the freshest bread ever, the correct distribution of, like, Russian dressing. They called it a pastrami. I think it was actually a Reuben. Reuben, Reuben just means Russian dressing, right? I'm not wrong on that. Pastrami, it's just, it's just mustard. Like, it's, it's a slightly drier sandwich. Not important. For the white breads out there, is that... Is that going to be a problematic term? I was thinking about this because I do have strong sandwich opinions. And I was like, white bread is pretty funny because, you know, it plays on how white I am and also that sandwiches frequently come on white bread. But then when I just said it then, <laughs> referring to a group of people as white breads, I'm like, oh, that's not great because that implies that then there's this other group that isn't. And you're like, oh, is that, is that a bit dicey? A little bit dicey. Feels a bit dicey. But anyway, bagelos in Mount Lawley, immediately biting into the sandwich. I was like, this is the best I've had. Like, I'm not one for the grand sweeping statement. I was just like, this is it. I've never been more sure about anything. Uh, to the point where I went back the next day <laughs> and got the other sandwich on the menu. Strongly considered going back the next day, the day that I was leaving. Like, literally going there for breakfast before my flight just to get another thing on the menu because apparently they switched the menu. I started talking to everybody. 
I'm not like this. I'm not, I'm not actually a pensioner looking for a human connection, but at Bagelo in Mount Lawley, I was in there. I was chatting to the, I was chatting to the server, Jay. It might be his place. I'm not hundred percent sure how the hierarchy goes between chef and like, he seemed to be in charge of the floor. Let me put it that way. Then there was chef T. I was talking to him. I was talking to everybody. I bought a t-shirt. I bought a premium AS color t-shirt for Bagelos for more money than I thought it was going to be, to be honest. But I regret nothing. I was wearing it with pride. I'm washing it right now so I can take it to Europe tomorrow because I want to rep this shit. I, it was such a joy. After, you know, what is essentially two years of me kind of being like, hey, look, I like sandwiches. Tell me where to go in your city. And everybody coming to the party and telling me their favorite places. This place completely unheralded, out of nowhere, is the best one. Bagelows, Mount Lawley. Uh, it's almost worth going to Perth for. <laughs> That's the best review I could give it. Bagelows, Mount Lawley, get the pastrami. I had the turkey club the next day. It was not as good as the pastrami, but apparently the menu does rotate. So who knows? Maybe there'll be new heroes there when you check it out. But I dare say the pastrami will be a stayer and it will change your fucking life, especially if you've never had a proper deli sandwich from like America, you know, the, the LA's or your New York's. This will be the best sandwich you've ever had. Forget the Australian qualifier. The best sandwich you've ever fucking had. Oh, I cannot describe just how good I felt about it. All right, number two. Uh, number two, I had three people arrive 60 minutes late to my one-hour show. Look, people arriving late is a thing in comedy. Like, in, in anything. What am I talking about in comedy? In fucking anything, people turn up late. I feel like comedy gets it, especially because... You know, people are used to attending music where if the doors are eight, the doors are seven, let's say. That's pretty common for like a, for a band, a touring band. Doors are seven. If you get there at seven, the band is nowhere near the stage. The band's getting on 8.30, maybe even nine, depending on how many songs they've got, you know. There's going to be at least one opening act, maybe two. There's the pack up. There's the pack down for each band. There's like the intermission so they can sell more drinks and t-shirts, blah, 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 blah. Um, whereas with comedy, when it says doors, that's generally when the show starts. Like it was actually rare in this venue in Perth. They let people into the room before the start of the show. And that actually fucked me up because I was late. <laughs> Usually as a comedian, I, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but just me personally, uh, when I've got a show on, let's say the show starts at 7.30, I get to the venue as close to that time as humanly possible. I make sure the lighting's fine. I chuck my little bum bag up on the stage. Uh, sometimes switch out the microphone for my custom mic and cable. Uh, but otherwise, you know, right before the show, I'm in there. This is all fine. Let them in. Keep them seated in the room for as little time as possible. Because like with this, they got in there half an hour before the show. So roughly half an hour into the show, everyone needed to go to the bathroom. Whereas if you leave them in the bar until 5-2, get them in, sit them down, they hold it. Bang. Perfect show. We did it. But yeah, these guys, we had, we had three other people running late and that was kind of a drama within the show, which was a lot of fun. I played around with that. But these guys, I thought they were lost. This is how late they were. Like I genuinely thought they were there for the next show and they just kind of wandered in early. 
But yeah, so the show started at seven. These guys got there at eight. <laughs> For an hour long show. And it was it was just weird in the sense that like they weren't apologetic. They were just kind of like, oh yeah, we're here to see you. And I I explained to them that there was, I think, three sentences remaining in the show. Like three. I, for those of you who've seen The New Hour, it was right at the end of my bit about uh, pole dancing for fitness, which is right at the end of the show. Like, I genuinely mean three sentences as in two more lines from the joke and thanks for coming, that's the show. Like, that's how late. And they were like, yeah, we'll just sit down. And I was like, but Why? Like, none of this is even going to make sense. You haven't heard the setup to anything. And then at the end, they got a photo. <laughs> and seemed to be like fans. Like, they weren't the unabashedness of it all. These are people who, if they spilt something on their shirt, it could resemble some kind of racial slur, like the, the stain, and it wouldn't bother them at all. It's, it's an amazing lack of shame. Yeah, shame. <laughs> so they just sat down and then I did the last three lines which now seemed a bit disconnected from the rest of the bit to be honest and then they came up and got the photo and I was just being polite and I was like well clearly there was like a mix up tonight if you guys want to come to another show when I'm in Perth in the future just message me and I'll put you on the door and now that I've had you know a few days to think about it I don't, I don't know if I did the right thing I think maybe I'm encouraging poor behavior there and perhaps they should learn. Perhaps they should learn instead of getting a, a free ticket to a show, which let's be honest, there's no chance they will arrive at on time. <laughs> now that, now that the behavior has been encouraged, you know, it's, it's a weird one. Like I get it. I get that, you know, things happen and people run late and all this kind of stuff, but why would you bother like, they've got a photo with me now being like, hey, we saw comedian Daniel Muggleton. And it's like, well, no, you didn't. So the only reason I can think that they do it is so they can tell people the story of how they turned up late to a show. And like, while it didn't ruin it, it definitely derailed it. So, mm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the moral of the story is there. Be on time. I think always, always you can text a comedian and be like, hey, when does the show start? Because, you know, while the venue might have whatever the fuck going on, if you, you know, get at us on social media or whatever, I think generally there'll be some kind of means of which to tell you, this is when I'm on the stage, don't be later than that, because we all fucking hate it. Third thing that happened, the third thing that happened in Perth is that I lost a bet to Luke Heggie, another guest on this podcast. Oh, you'll have to see it. Uh, during the Perth Comedy Festival Gala. Um, because, look, just to give you guys a little bit of context here. So you do, you do these gala shows in big theatres, and big theatres always have their own tech, and their own tech is used to having a pretty important job because they're running the tech for these big productions. Like whether it's a musician or like a play, like there's, there's a lot of work for them to do. So then comedians turn up and there's not really anything for them to do. They just are supposed to, not all of them do, but supposed to keep the mic level because we can control our own volume, right? You can go up or down. Um, 
and yeah, just put some music on as the acts go to the stage, put some music on as the acts leave the stage and, you know, make sure the lights stay on. That's it. That's basically 100% of their role. But they're used to doing more, so they want to do more because they get bored. So I noticed early on during the Perth Comedy Festival Gala that the tech was changing the lights, the backstage. I don't know what you call them. They're not the backstage lights. They're like the lights behind. Ooh, how do I describe this? They're not the lights coming down onto the performer. That's always like a neutral color. But the lights behind the performer projected up onto the curtains to kind of give the the stage a bit of depth. Uh, They were changing the color of the lights based on what the comedian was wearing. So being bored because I was like the 11th act on out of 15, you got to find ways to amuse yourself. Mr. Heggie was last. Uh, I was like, hey, bro, I reckon I can bet what light color is going to be on for us and Emma Holland, another very funny comedian. Because I was wearing red as per usual. Emma was wearing green, like everything in her outfit was green. And Heggie was wearing kind of like a dark blue T-shirt. So I was like, look, I've been watching this text work for about seven acts now. He tends to just match whatever they're wearing on the top. Or in the case of Mr. Lawrence Mooney, bright yellow shoes, yellow lights, bang. I can do this. Color association. Uh, So I was like, all right, Heggie, he's going red for me. He's going green for Emma. He's going blue for you. Five bucks. And he's like... Wait, so you got to get all three of those correct to win and I just have to have one of them fail? And I was like, yep. And he's like, fuck yeah, you're on. And I lost. <laughs> and I lost in the most fucked way because for me, apparently it started blue, but then immediately went to red because he's like, fuck, I got this one covered. Uh, then with Emma, who was wearing like bright lime green, top and bottom, went purple. Went purple for the bright lime. Are you fucking crazy? Like, those colors don't even mix well. So he's gone this kind of greeny purple for Emma, fucked me in the second leg. And then for Heggy, he's gone, look, I want to call it blue. Others would have called it purple, but fuck me, I was right there. Because what he seemed to do was when there was an act who wasn't wearing a particularly loud color and that act was a man, he would just go with blue like it was a gender reveal for that comedian. (laughs) But look, I lost the bet, but I just thought, you know, we're watching these things backstage and obviously we're not paying too much attention to the jokes or whatever the fuck. We're just making sure that no act does significantly better than us. Otherwise, we look like a bit of a dickhead. But I thought maybe as avid comedy fans, the next time you go to a gala, you might now notice the lighting changes, nudge the person next to you and say five bucks when Muggleton's out there, it's going to be red behind him. Five bucks. Easiest five bucks ever make. All right, that was three things that happened. All right, Ja Morant. Ja Morant, I can assume only a a fairly distant relative of Breaker Morant. That's an Australian folk figure, I believe, Breaker Morant. (laughs) Arguably, uh, that is the weakest segue in the history of this podcast. I love that I said Breaker Morant and then immediately realized that I don't really know who Breaker Morant is. I think fictional. I think fictional. I think there's like a movie. I think I think that's a character. 
in my head, it's the man from Snowy River, but fuck me, it could be anything. And I'll be completely honest with you, I'm unwilling to do the research to find out if I'm right or wrong. But let's get to Ja Morant. Now, the NBA playoffs are on. It's conference final time. Eastern Conference, Celtics, Heat, Western Conference, Nuggets, Lakers. Uh, it's hot stuff. I'm excited. I'm enjoying it. Uh, LeBron charging towards a potential fifth championship. Uh, I love I love an old guy winning. I love an old champion getting up. When Brady got the Super Bowl with the Bucks, I was like, fuck yeah, dude. Love a bit of longevity. I don't know if it's just because, you know, I've had the same car for a long time and this tends to bode well. But uh, fuck all that. Fuck all the actual basketball. Let's get into Ja Morant waving a gun around again. For those of you who don't follow the NBA in Australia, or at least perhaps you follow Australian media's coverage of the NBA, which means you're only really aware of what Ben Simmons has done recently. And the general answer to that for the last three years has been nothing, or at least nothing good. So you probably don't know what's going on. It's crazy. If you're, if you're overseas, I really can't emphasize how one-eyed coverage of sports is in Australia. Like, not that we, like, hmm. The best kind of analogy I can think of is, like, how you can discuss, like, a world event with, with a parent or some kind of, you know, older family relative, usually male, not always male, but usually, um, and through the most tangential links possible, they kind of bring it back to them. So like NBA coverage in Australia, there was, I think it was game seven, Lakers, Lakers Warriors. There was definitely game seven uh, Celtics 76ers and the main coverage, not, you know, Jason Tatum scoring more points in a game seven than ever before, a record previously set by... Uh, Steph Curry, like just a week ago, and he's smashed it again. Nothing about that. Only that Ben Simmons sent an Instagram story of him watching the game. And obviously he used to play for the 76ers. He personally copped a lot of the blame for their previous losses. And it was kind of like a, ah, fuck you. You can't win without me either. Little message. According to Australian media, that is the only thing that happened during that game. <laughs> that is 100% of the coverage. Just different think pieces, including that one screenshot being like, Ben Simmons is back. Oh, you won't believe America. America set alight by Ben Simmons' Instagram story. And it's like, bro, nobody gives a shit about basketball, cares about Ben Simmons' Instagram story. They care about Ja Morant's Instagram Live. It was on there waving a gun around again. And when I say again, I don't mean that like this is something that he's kind of known for and it's resurfaced, like the idea of Ben Simmons hitting a three-point shot again. Like he's done it before, he's done it again. Holy shit, don't you love some consistency from your main characters? No. He was suspended this season. Ja Morant, for those who don't know, he's a young player for the Memphis Grizzlies, 23 years old, face of the league potential. Like one of the most attention-grabbing, visually pleasing players to come through the NBA recently. He was the same draft as Zion Williams, so he didn't really get any coverage. <coughs> Excuse me, Zion Williamson. Um, 
Didn't really get any coverage because he was obviously such a huge figure. Uh, went second in the draft. And some of the most athletic players you've ever seen in your goddamn life, John Morant, he's a highlight reel. He hit his head on the backboard doing an alley-oop. It was fucking hectic. Um, face of the league, sold more jerseys than anybody last year, I believe. Um, basically, they had to take the mantle. Now LeBron is so well. Just like positioned. Like, this is the future of the league. How exciting is he? The kids love him. He's got more hang time than Michael Jordan. It's fucking unbelievable. And then earlier this season, he was at a strip club. Nothing against strip clubs in the NBA. James Harden has apparently spent over a million dollars at several Houston strip clubs to the point where they have his jersey hanging from the rafters in the strip club as like a retired player there. Fuck yeah. How funny is that? But Ja Morant in the strip club holds a gun on an IG live again. Motherfucker, get a three second delay like radio, you know? What did someone swears? You'd need the wiggle room. But... He's on there. He's flashed the gun. Uh, the NBA has noticed. <laughs> the Grizzlies have noticed. Like somehow this guy, 23 years old, way too young to not understand how technology works, that if you do something on Instagram Live as one of the most famous athletes in the world, you may as well be doing it in front of everybody individually, going door to door, knocking, showing them your gun and being like, John Morant. NBA player. See you soon. So that's happened. He served a two-game suspension and went to rehab for one day in all of the bullshit athlete moves and sports moves. I think going to rehab for one day is a contender for the most bullshit PR stunt of all time. Like rehab is where you go to get clean. Let's say you went to rehab because you're a drug addict and stay there for 24 hours. I don't think you'd even have all the drug out of your body yet. You'd probably not even be experiencing withdrawal yet. So the idea that that could have any effect, have any desired effect anyway, is absurd. And especially for something like this, where it's not drug related, it's not alcohol related at all. It's purely behavior when he's on the road. So he's gone there to learn to cope with the anxiety of being very, very rich and famous, which is real. I want to make that very clear. I'm not saying it's easy to be one of the most famous people in the world. I think if you've ever noticed how some of the most famous people in the world act, it's clearly fucking hard. Like, and I'm not even talking like your Hall of Fame. Michael Jackson changes his appearance completely and builds an amusement park so children can come and do sleepovers. Britney Spears gets into conservatorship after she has like two very fast marriages, gets out of it, starts posting photos of herself naked on Instagram. Like, why not just some garden variety? Will Smith, the nicest guy in Hollywood, air quotes, slaps a comedian during the Oscars. <laughs> Clearly... It's difficult. So I'm not saying that this guy, 23 years old, suddenly all this attention isn't feeling the heat a bit. I'm just saying that spending 24 hours in a new room, which may as well be a fucking hotel room at that point, and like talking to a therapist, I guess, a couple of times is going to solve anything is fucking absurd, right? Like that's, that's clear. But, 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 but the fun part, is he's done it again. So this happened four months ago, five months ago, like 
during this season, during the middle of this current NBA season, which is about to end, he did this. And he's like, I'm all better now. Don't worry. Does it again. Grizzlies get knocked out. He's having his offseason. He does it again. And even the person filming the Instagram live knew because in the video, he turns and the camera sees Ja Morant holding the gun and he immediately puts the phone down, being like, dude, what What are you, an idiot? Dude, did you, did you learn nothing in the 24 hours in rehab? Ja! Ja, you're being a fool. Anyway, so that's happened. And now it's just a matter of how long he's going to get suspended. And this is going to cost this guy a lot of fucking money. Like, it's bizarre. It's truly the only time I've ever seen anyone having a gun in America lose. That, like, the American narrative is definitely built around the fact that we have guns, we like guns, you can have one too. But this is the first time that a guy having a gun, everyone's like, no, 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 no good. I mean, obviously, like, you know, the NRA fucking people are already out there being like, it's his right to defend himself, he's in his car, he didn't shoot anybody, which is reasonable. But he's a role model. I'm sure the NBA has one of those clauses being like, you've damaged the image of the league, so he's fucked. He's going to be suspended for a bunch of games. And honestly, probably lose a lot of endorsement deals. He's got a Nike deal. He's got a lot of deals there, man. And he's going to, you know, this gun's going to cost him like $20 million, probably, if not more. So what I was thinking about is not just, A, what an incredibly lame way to lose $20 million fucking Instagram live and thinking guns are cool. I mean, he is 23. 23-year-olds are fucking lame. But, you know, you, you'd hope that he learns from this uh, in some way. But... The thing that gets me is just, it really puts Australian athletic scandals into perspective. Like, obviously, in all sporting codes, there's some horrific sexual misconduct, uh, which has sometimes, not nearly enough, resulted in people going to jail and getting punished, like Jared Hayne, but more likely resulted in headlines and absolutely no follow-through and their career being pretty much unaffected like Deshaun Watson in the NFL. But just in this, I don't consider this malicious. I consider this boneheaded. I consider this just a dumb thing to do. And when I think about Australian sports in terms of those scandals, like Todd Carney comes to mind. Todd Carney, and a rugby league player who famously, uh, his mate took a photo of him pissing into his own mouth the media dubbed it the bubbler <laughs> this is why i make the case frequently and forcefully that australia is not a real country we got our national newspaper being like yeah bloody todd carney's gone and done the bubbler no good he's gonna get dropped from the australian side now just just a bloke in skinny jeans wrenching his dick out of his pants and pissing into his own mouth over a urinal which you know I think that for me is the weirdest bit because it's not like he couldn't find a toilet. He was in the best place to piss in the correct direction. But last minute, change of heart, mugging for the camera, decides to go into his own mouth instead. Like, I think, you know, 
if you're in one of those bullshit wannabe SAS shows or hanging out with Bear girls, pissing into your own mouth could be explicable. But if you are standing on a urinal at the time, clearly you're a weird cunt. There's no... <laughs> There's no middle ground on that. It's like you had all the necessary equipment to piss correctly and weirdly you're almost almost thumbing your nose at that. Like it's it's much more bizarre given the proximity to a piss trough. Uh, other ones, uh, I forget, I think it was Nate Miles. This is, this is the kind of thing where you get done for defamation because you don't remember the exact name of the athletes who did what. But I'm pretty sure it was Nate Miles at a state of origin camp just took a shit in the hallway. That was, that was the thing. He was in a hotel. You got to assume uh, a hotel room with a bathroom in it. But at some point exited his hotel room, went to someone else's hotel room on the same floor and took a shit on the doormat. Very much White Lotus season one kind of energy. Uh, Fair play. Again, I just... Childish by comparison, but not really. Not really. Like, I think just waving a gun around being like, ooh, aren't I tough? Aren't I cool? Like, that is kind of the same as I'm going to take a shit on your doormat. Say welcome to that, bitch, right? It's got that kind of vibe. I was trying to, I was trying to think if there are others. I mean, there's obviously those great photos of uh, Dustin Martin, the AFL player, just pupils fucking massive. Uh, after winning the premiership, but there's not really anything there. I think it was Joel Monaghan, another rugby league player. They are very overrepresented uh, in these particular boneheaded moments. Um, he, I think, what was it? It was like a Mad Monday kind of end of season thing. And I think like he just simulated having sex with a dog. I think it was that. There was definitely another one where the simulation was maybe 4D, if we want to use that as the euphemism. Like the simulation was probably more realistic than you'd like it to be if you were the viewer or the dog. I don't want to speak to the intentions of the rugby league player's mind at the time. But yeah, like Shane Warne, Mark War, they got suspended for like talking to a bookie. Like, which in a weird way is kind of more nefarious more guilty than like waving a gun around but it's just yeah like the australian sports scandals like we're just i don't know if it's just because we have significantly more appropriate gun laws in this country but just seem a lot gentler just seem a lot gentler you know than just whipping out a gun at a strip club and in your mate's car you know it just seems silly i'm trying to think i'm trying to think like what the kind of equivalent Australian thing would be like, cause we've had some embarrassing sports scandals. Like, you know, at the moment, Buddy Franklin, the Swans footballer is getting booed by fans again and is an indigenous player. And that really echoes when Adam Goods got booed and everyone was like, it's not racist. And it's like, Oh, but you're only booing the Aboriginal guy. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> that's weird. That's, that's kind of, that's kind of a difficult bow to draw, but I'm just trying to think it's just like, what would, the equivalent kind of political thing be. I mean, you got Israel Folau coming out with all the kind of homophobic stuff. Like, you know, he's a, he's a Mormon. He believes homophobia is wrong. He's kind of asked the question and says it publicly and everyone's surprised. I guess like the Manly Seagulls thing last season, like they were like, hey, you're going to wear a rainbow jersey for pride. 
And then all the Mormon players are like, oh, no, we're actually not because we don't, we don't like that. Yeah, like it's – I'm just trying to think what it would be, like the idea of – because it would have to be like, you know, may he rest in peace, the great man Shane Warne, like just doing something dumb. I mean, there are all those photos with him with like a huge inflatable penis in the English tabloids uh, and like models in the room going around, but that, you know, I don't think anyone really has a problem with that in the same way that there's like the gun. I just, I can't think what an Australian equivalent would be. Like this kind of tough guy image, like a knife. That'd be so weird. This wouldn't even make sense. I don't know. But anyway, I just, it just really made me, you know, not, the, the wrong idea is there like, there's a sense of like national pride there and that our scandals are a lot sillier than your scandals. It's not that. It's just that, I can't help but think if Ja Morant was an Australian athlete as opposed to an American athlete, uh, if he pulled something out unexpectedly at a strip club, it would have been his penis to piss into his mouth. You get a bit thirsty. You know, the waitresses can be slow sometimes. Uh, and that probably would have, you know, cost him less. <laughs> would it have? I just, I don't, I can't think of American athletes doing shit like that because I don't think their athletes are bogans. Maybe there's some like NASCAR kind of redneck shit that I could get into. If you know, if you've ever heard of any kind of just, I don't want to say innocent because innocent is absolutely the wrong word, but just that kind of dumb blokey shit that, you know, I'm sure happens privately within every sports organization and it's gross and they clean it up and some member of staff gets a hefty payout to keep their mouth shut. But like there's actually, there's really no harm. Like it's entitled, it's immature, it's gross, but it doesn't actually harm anybody else. Whereas like the new face of the league waving a gun around, implicitly implying to all these people around America who watch the NBA that guns are fucking cool. Like, that does have some direct harm, you know? Anyway, get in touch if you can think of any examples. I'd love to know. Just the most the most embarrassing sports gaffe of all time. I'd absolutely love that. Surely there's a fucking Twitter account dedicated to this shit. But hey, I want to hear it from you. All right, so round out this week's episode of the podcast unheralded not warned about this popped up an article popped up saying that age verification for adult websites may involve australian governmental digital id for those of you for those of you who'd like a little headline translation uh they're trying to stop kids watching pornography they're trying to stop it they're trying to bring in some kind of you know on the porn hub uh, on every porn website ever, let's be honest. Uh, it's like, are you over 18? <laughs> the the most stringent test in history where the pornographic website will say, are you over 18? This website contains adult content and you, whatever age you are, click yes uh, and it lets you in. There's no... There's no like, hey, you're over 18. Well, you must know uh, what superannuation fund you're with or 
you're you're over 18 uh is it jim beam or jim bean what's it gonna be you know the kind of shit that adults only adults would know uh you know describe the twin towers in detail all the good stuff all the good all the good like hey this is this is only for people above the age of 18 uh and if you say no i remember i did this once this is this is how you know even when pursuing pornography i'm willing to procrastinate uh and one time i was like what happens if i hit no <laughs> what happens then they're like oh you can't say anything and then you're like, oh, that sucks. And then you refresh the website and it's like, hey, what about now? And you're like, oh, I reckon I'm 18 now. Uh, it's, been, it's, been my, it's been my birthday subsequent to the, to the first question answering and the refresh. Um, so yeah, they're, they're trying to do that. The quote at the top of the Guardian article, because let's be honest, getting into the body of an article, silly. Uh, we do not want young people having unfettered access to pornography says the communications minister, Michelle Rowland. Uh, obviously, the subtext there is that fettered access to pornography is is allowed. Uh, I, I assume, you know, that kind of role taken up by Renaissance paintings, um, nudes, like because, I mean, I could only assume the proliferation of nudes uh, as children. Oh, that's not great, is it? As teenagers, you know, when I was in high school, the camera phone was just kind of coming in. The pictures were blurry. Nudes were going around. I can only assume now that everyone has a fucking 4K camera on their phone. Nudes still be going around. Like, you know, by definition, it is child pornography, but it's made by the children to send to other I got to stop saying children. My God. But you get what I mean. High school students are probably, I haven't seen it. (laughs) This is what happens when you try to finish off recording a podcast at 2 a.m. before you fly to Europe for six weeks. You start saying silly things and get concerned they might be taken out of context. Teenagers, people attending high school who have their own cell phones are probably taking photos of their naked body and sending it to other people in an appropriate age bracket, other people in their year, people at the brother or sister school, if it's a if it's a single sex school, you know what I'm saying. That's what's going on in relationships, outside of relationships. I don't know. That's probably happening, but that is the fettered access that Michelle Rowland reckons is a dope idea, as opposed to the unfettered access where kids can look up pornography. Uh, I'm trying to think. I think the first time I saw a pornographic video on a computer, I was probably like 12, maybe 13. You know, when the internet's still in its kind of infancy, you got like Kazaa or like even Napster maybe. Like that's how long ago this was where you just kind of type in porn because you didn't know. <laughs> you didn't You didn't know what to search. You, you, didn't, you didn't know like, you know, lesbian or... Uh, I mean, I think that's probably everyone's first category, right? As like a straight male, you kind of start with lesbian because you're like, if there's a if there's a dick on screen, what does that mean? Oh my god, I'm not willing to interrogate those feelings. Let's just go with two chicks doing stuff that I don't really understand what's going on. I'm 12, uh, but I'm gonna watch it with my other with my other male friends uh, in an in an attempt to feel grown up. And then you know, you just type in porn, and then it kind of gives you the keywords. 
and you start downloading videos. Back then, they all had the file name. You're downloading the file name. So it was like a, a lowercase x and an uppercase x and a lowercase x. You're like, oh, that's the good stuff. This person's taken pains to capitalize and then not capitalize x's to, to really add to the, you know, sultry nature of the of the video. And then you download it and it'll take like 10 minutes and the video will last like eight seconds. And you'll be like, oh, let's watch that again. That's hot. It wasn't hot. I don't think it was... I'm trying to think at what point I actually started being able to process that as being like, oh, this is pretty good. I, it wasn't surely like 14, maybe, maybe 15, like where I'm actually kind of watching a penis go in and out of a vagina or a mouth or whatever. And I'm like, oh, this is good stuff. You know, this is, this is, this is what we want. This is what I would like. This is what I would like to happen to me if possible. <laughs> this, if that was my penis, I'd be very satisfied. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, just the complete naivety watching hardcore porn uh, in, the, in the safety of your own bedroom because you have cable internet and you're an only child and you got the computer in the room. Anyway, so she's trying to bring in some kind of how do we how do we make sure that the people are over 18 before they look at pornography? And it's just the answer is that you don't. You just don't. Like that. I I luckily wasn't born into this era, but when it was magazines, like you just kind of found the magazines. Like people talk about burying stuff in the woods and going out there for a wank. Like, come on, man. The kids have got phones. They've got the internet. They're going to find it somewhere. Like, why not have it on a pornographic website where there's, like, at least some context and probably some comments Be like, oh, that was good. Or, man, she was faking that. Or, wow, that dick's probably too big, if anything. These are handy. It's handy to have a bit of context. Like, because, again, you download the file. It's just you and the video. And you're like, is this normal? This is this a normal one? She's, oh, well, is that, that seems like a different hole. Oh, my God. I just, I find it such a funny, like, are they going to be, like, because obviously everybody tries to do things that they can only do when they turn 18 before they turn 18, like drinking and smoking and all that kind of stuff. It's like, is there going to be a market for, like, scratched digital IDs in order to circumvent this pornography blockade? It's just like, hey, did you get that? Did you get that so you could buy us booze? It's like, nah, to start wanking. That's, I want to, I want to, I want to wank I want to wank under this, under my own name, under a fake name. You get a lookalike. <laughs> you ask your older brother like, hey man, can I use your digital ID to log into this website and have a wank? I promise to never wank simultaneously, nor log in while you're having a wank, kicking you off. Like back in the day, you know, you un unplug the dial up to use the phone. It just, look, maybe I'm just not particularly anti-pornography. I know some people are. Some people are adult relationships. Their partners are like, I don't like it when you watch porn. I think other people are just like, oh, good, you're not bothering me. <laughs> I don't know. I just, it just seems like of all the things to like affect children, like all this cyberbullying and everything like that, do we, do we really want them to probably very easily circumvent this and still find ways to have a wank. Whereas now they can just lie to the little pop-up on the website being like, yes, I'm above 18. Can you give me today's hottest videos? Because then at least I'm watching things that other people are watching. You don't want to get, you don't want to get too far down a rabbit hole too early. Like everybody's had that friend who, 
you know, got a bit into pornography and then suddenly Pornhub wasn't enough. Suddenly X Hamster was insufficient. They were going, they were going to things like extreme tube and you're like, well, that's not good. <laughs> There's no way that's a good thing. And you know, it's going to be like the more extreme websites or the more kind of fetishy, kinky websites that don't require like that kind of pop up for these guys to access without the you know legit little digital id verification or they're just going to snake their dad's id and use that which is weirder now you're masturbating under your dad's name when you just used to masturbate in your dad's house way easier absolutely way easier and like you know let's be honest 13 to 15-year-old boys need to start watching pornography uh, so they can develop unrealistic expectations about penis size and female reaction to penis size. <laughs> and also, obviously, more, most important than anything, um, attempt porn star, porn sex style moves during their early sexual encounters. So like the sexual encounters where they have no idea what they're doing. Uh, they're trying to prop the girl up against the couch to deliver some kind of pile driver type scenario. And she probably hasn't watched as much porn as the man. So she's like, fuck, he knows what he's doing. He's assertive. This really hurts my shoulders. And I don't think the whole upside down thing allows for a lot of eye contact, but he's doing those deep knee bends. That's pretty sexy. <laughs> It just seems like such a dumb thing. Like, I, I, I feel like any time the government's like, we need to stop the children from doing this thing, they don't just realize that it's like, they're going to find a way to do it. And by taking it out of the mainstream, you take away any kind of normalizing groupthink aspect of it. So you just end up with weirder, fringier people and I'm going to put it out there for people who don't know anything about sex and are probably going to try to mimic this kind of shit. I don't think that's a good idea, Michelle Rowland. So cop that. There you go. Bit of a fun one, I feel. I don't, I don't, I, I'll be honest. I think today's episode is potentially the most scattershot of all time. Uh, but I, but I think once I clarified my position on who was sending and receiving the nudes, uh, this is actually the most sense I've made all day. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? Danlets? ODs? Wait, it's the Muglets, isn't it? Fuck, it is late. It is late. All right. We're wrapping it up. We're wrapping it up here. Let's not even, let's not even cut to a wrap. We're going straight to the wrap. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I do really appreciate it. Uh, I know the last couple of weeks I've been pretty frantic, but I've been on the road pretty much the entire time. Uh, I'm about to go to Europe. I'm about to do my first ever overseas tour. I reckon you're going to dig it. But just for making it this far, I do want to shout out Cameron Steele, the first person to join the Patreon from this podcast. The Patreon that, as I made very clear, offers absolutely zero perks thus far. <laughs> they will come eventually. And I remember the name Cameron Steele. He's come to a bunch of my shows. Lovely bloke. Bought the fam last time as well. Um, I remember, mate. I do appreciate it. And just for you, just for you, I will make my favorite weekly promise that things 
and not just things, more specifically, this podcast will get better. Thanks for listening. Chuck us the old five star. Tell your mates about it. There's going to be some very hot apps coming up. Five to six weeks in Europe. Uh, Mary's going to be there with me a lot of the way. She's talked about jumping on the pod. Maybe it's finally going to happen. Little little husband, wife, pod. She can sense check the things I'm saying and be like, for the love of God, Daniel, you've got to start listening back to these things without just putting them out. Who knows? Who knows what you might be saying down there in your weird little man cave thing where you're definitely not accessing any websites that will one day need a digital ID. Ugh. That's for your baz, not for your dong. Jesus Christ. It's a business activity statement, not a penis activity. Oh, my God. Let's just call it. Vertical, for the love of God, save me. <laughs>